a lot of scripture, wasn't it? Like, wow. Thank you, Marilyn, for uh, reading God's word today. Pastor Fogel, as you may know, has been attending the annual meeting of our Evangelical Covenant Church. And I know that he will return, I presume he will return, uh, next week to continue ministering to you. And it's my privilege today to come and to share the Word of God. As you may know, uh, during these summer months, Pastor Fogel has designed to follow the lectionary text for each Sunday, which means it's an organized way of reading through the scriptures through the course of a year that allows for variety it forces pastors to preach about stuff they'd rather skip over. And today I say thank you, John, for choosing such an easy text on this Sunday for me to explore. If you take the time to read the book of Galatians, and it's not particularly long. First of all, I like this cantilevered thing. Isn't this cool? Who made this? Herm? Where is he? Not here today. Um, it's kind of cool, and I like the screens. Those are neat, too. And I want you to pay special attention to the, the emphasis of my remarks today, which is grace with an asterisk. And that will be, become important as time moves on. And one of the things that I would point out to you about lectionary texts, and this always interests me, is that oftentimes whoever decides, and I don't know either, which verses are included and excluded in a lectionary text often leave out the most difficult verses in the passage. For this I am eternally grateful on the one hand, but on the other hand, today, I want to invite you to read the rest of Galatians chapter 5 because if nothing else, it underlines the fact that in the church, it's okay for us to have strong emotions of disagreement and anger with one another. Hello? Are you here? <laughs> yes. And as angry as I have been at some times in my pastoring, I've never, to my knowledge, wished that someone would go and castrate themselves, which Paul does in Galatians chapter 5. Google is a wonderful tool, and so for those of you who don't know what circumcision is this morning, I'm not going to go into great detail, except to say that no one gets too worked up today, so far as I know, about circumcision. Is any of that a passionate issue for anyone here today? Because I don't want to exclude 
anyone's passion. But no one gets too worked up about circumcision today. If you want to know more about it, you can Google it. There's a nice Wikipedia article about it. But to summarize in a uh, PG-13 manner, circumcision was a physical sign of inclusion into the people of God. So if you were a law-abiding Jew and you wished to remain within the fellowship of Judaism, then it was required for you as a male to be circumcised. And the Apostle Paul was a great advocate of everything Jewish. I think he had a little store, Jews Are Us, that he used to run. He was a Jew above all Jews, and God took him because God recognized his passion and his amazing ability to have skin on his nose and converted him from a person who was passionately Jewish and who was more than willing to draw the line as to who would be included in the family of God and who would be excluded and turned him through an amazing conversion story that you can read in the Bible into an advocate for people outside of Judaism to be included in the family of God. Who thinks that that is absolutely amazing? That God took this hard-nosed Jew and that nobody belongs to God's people unless you're a Jew and a circumcised one at that into the person who was willing to give his life to make sure that pagans, Gentiles, those outside the wall were invited to come in and to draw near and to be part of the family of God. I say praise God today for his amazing work. And so the lectionary text skips that part and goes right to the more familiar verses which talk about living according to life by the Spirit. And it draws a contrast. And I want you to pay attention to this because everybody who has read the Bible, even superficially, in Galatians chapter 5 probably has learned these two lists that exist. The first is the list of things that we're not supposed to do if we're followers of Jesus, okay? And here it is. Some of these words, I don't know why sinful stuff is harder to pronounce than righteous stuff, but here you go. The, and this is, if you're following along or care to, this is Acts, uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19. The acts of sinful nature are obvious, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. I have amended that to say fits of road rage. <laughs> Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. When Paul says, and the like, that is his signal to us that this is not an all-inclusive list, okay? But it is our human nature, our fallen human nature, to look at that list, and the first thing our mind says is, I know somebody, huh, who's a drunk, yeah? And they should pay attention to this list. I know somebody who's sexually immoral, and boy, are they in trouble, right? I know somebody who goes off like this at the slightest provocation. I've heard the most profane things come from their mouth, and man, I wish that they would change. I know somebody who loves to divide the body of Christ into factions. And the last thing we want to do is say, wow, some of that stuff applies to me. Right? We don't want to say that. No. Some of that stuff applies to me. And it might not be obvious, like it says here, that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious because we're pretty good at keeping them hidden. Hmm? Do you know, do you know that they have electronic-sniffing dogs now? That if you're like a pornographer or a child pornographer or you're doing bad stuff online, they can come into your house and they can sniff out your little thumb drive that you've got hidden in your wall. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? Dogs are our best friends unless they're not, right? <laughs> Do you see those beagles at the airport yesterday that found those gigantic uh, African snails in somebody's luggage? Huge. Yeah, they're like this big, and they sniff them out. And then there's the good list, right? This is the list you want to be on. This is the T-shirt you want to wear so that everybody knows that this is you, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is, you can say these together because they kind of flow off your, your tongue. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow, yeah. And we say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's me, right? When people think about me, they think, what a peaceful person. What a joy-filled person. What a guy. What a fine example of what it means to follow Christ. And so I say, first of all to you, this we shall not do, okay? We shall not divide, and we shall not think in our minds that we are better than our brothers or our sisters who may be struggling in one of the areas on the first list. We shall not do that. 
because the Bible instructs us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is this not from the Word of God? I don't want to be stupid today and realize that most of you who are here today are not aware of some of the things that occurred at our annual meeting in Nebraska. I don't want to be stupid and assume that you don't know. And if you don't know, I'll tell you. The Evangelical Covenant Church at its highest authoritative assembled body, which is the annual meeting to which we send delegates, John and Jess were our delegates, as I understand. Uh, at the annual meeting, the delegates were asked to act upon a recommendation from the Covenant Executive Board to expel from the roster of Covenant churches First Covenant Church of Minneapolis and to also remove the credentials of their pastor and another pastor within the covenant body. The reason for this, if you can, and tell, uh, let me tell you something too. The Evangelical Covenant Church and my work as a hospice chaplain, people oftentimes ask me, oh, what is your, what is your background? What is your, what is your uh, faith brand? I tell them the Evangelical Covenant Church, and you, do you know that look, that But today, on pick your, uh, pick your news outlet, ABC, CNN, Fox News, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, pick your news outlet, you can find the story of how our assembled delegates and they don't use the fluffy language that has been used to describe what really happened. They say, booted out, kicked out of the body, this church in Minneapolis, and two pastors, essentially over the issue of how do we as a church approach and deal with the issue of people that are lesbian, gay, transsexual, bisexual, queer? How do we as a church deal with churches that want to say to such people, the welcome mat is out for you in our church. You are welcome to assume positions of leadership you are welcome to be fully embraced in the life of our congregation. In fact, in both of these cases, the pastors also gave their approval, if not their actual participation, to participation in marriages of same-sex couples. 
and the covenant church by means of a supermajority, which means that two-thirds or more of the delegates had to do it, voted to expel the church in Minneapolis and to remove the credentials of the pastor. And so I don't want to be stupid this morning and know that a lot of you don't already know that and have come to worship today with some expectation that the proclamation may have something to say about these events. And I think it is fitting that the text for today was this one from Galatians. And I started with sort of my exploration of that text in at least a bit of analysis before telling you these facts, which many of you already knew. And I will leave it to Pastor Fogel to come and to share his experience of what it was like to be in that room and to be in that community as that decision was made. And I say to you that there are several things in the Bible which I can tell you as a person of faith and as a covenant pastor that are very important to me in informing what is it that we should do now. Like, now what, right? Did you ever have one of those times in your life where the question was, well, now what? This is a now what kind of moment for our denomination. And the first thing that came to my mind was that um, there are many places in the New Testament where the message that we get from God's word is that the sacrifice that Christ made upon the cross, and we sang about it this morning, the sacrifice that Christ made upon the cross was a sacrifice that was meant for all. How many? All. And there are many places in the Bible where you can look and to read about this yourself, and I encourage you to do so. One would be Hebrews chapter 10. One would be 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And this one I'll read to you from Romans chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul writes, The death he died, he died to sin once for all. How many times? Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it does not say, for it is by grace, asterisk. What does an asterisk mean when you're reading along, say, in your life insurance policy? Huh? It says, uh, the following benefit is available to you, asterisk. 
I apologize to all the insurance people here this morning. I already know that there's a... Okay. And if you look in the asterisk little area down there, there may be some policy exclusions. Are you, am I correct? Yes. And if you go home and you read the Sunday paper and you're looking for a car and you look through and you want to buy a Hyundai, it may say 229 per month, asterisk, right? And you look down below and it says includes a down payment of $3,500, which you don't have, right? Excludes the taxes, the insurance. It excludes the processing fee, documentation, whatever they call that, the documentation fee. All of that is excluded. So this is our starting point and here's reality, right? And so when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, it is by grace you have been saved, it is not by grace asterisk you have been saved. Do you understand me? And I need to define grace for you. Grace is the undeserved favor of God towards you. You cannot earn the favor of God. You cannot buy the favor of God. You cannot negotiate the favor of God. It is given to you as a gift that is representative of God's love and God's character. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that we receive salvation based on the grace, the undeserved favor of God that is poured into our lives. So when Romans chapter 6, verse 10 says, the death he died, he died for sin, once for all, I want to expand that thought for you. When it says he died once for all, it doesn't mean he died once for the Caucasian church and once for the black church. Can anybody at least say amen? amen. He did not die once for males and once for females. Amen. He did not die once for fat people and once for skinny people. He did not die once for horrible sinners and once for misdemeanor sinners, okay? He did not die once for straight people and once for gay people. He did not die once for smart people and once for stupid people. He died once for all. And you know what? You don't have to like it. And sometimes we do. It's like, wow, I hope that heaven is really big. Because if I have to spend more than six months in eternity with thus and so, I'm going to be jumping off the cloud and say, let me go back down to earth. Because in our minds, 
we think that somehow it's grace asterisk. And that is what Paul was so annoyed at in Galatians chapter 5. Because people were saying, yeah, it's by grace. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord. But to be certain, to kind of hedge your bets a little bit, you better go and get circumcised too, because after all, we're standing, are we not, on the foundation of Judaism. So all those things that were a part of the Jewish law, you might want to pay attention to them, because who knows? Maybe there's a line at the golden gates of heaven where circumcised, non-circumcised, and maybe those people get in faster, like if you have the super pass at Great America. That's now how it works. Either you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, or you don't. And once God gets a hold of our lives, it is truly up to him and his grace and his power what he does with you. It's about surrendering and saying, Lord, my life is now hidden in you. My father would be in his 100th year of life right now. Wow. He was a covenant pastor too. And he's so old, or he would be, that he went to North Park when it was an academy. Okay? Before it was a college, it was an academy. And now it's a university okay he went when it was an academy my father i tell bad jokes in the car on the way to school just ask my daughters you know i mean really bad ones and sometimes inappropriate ones you know um i don't pretend to be perfect but my father would recite poems which quite frankly at the time was equally annoying to me as a human being but he, here's one from Robert Frost. Okay, Karen? Yes. Mending Wall. And I'm going to read it because I can. And now I'm hot. <laughs> so I said I'm going to take off one layer at a time. Don't worry, the sermon's almost over. This is the only layer that's coming off today. Mending Wall by Robert Frost. <clears throat> and this is the line he always repeated in the car. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean. No one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line, 
and set the wall between us once again. I love that image that his neighbor is on one side and he's on the other side and together they're picking up the rocks that fell on either side and they're building the wall. And set the wall between us once and we keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves and some are nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. We say, stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side, it comes to little more. There, where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine and I am all apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, and this is the only line most people know from the poem, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows that you need a wall? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness as it seems to me, not of woods only, the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well, he says it again. Good fences make good neighbors. And I like this line. Before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. It's a good question. I remember that when Jesus died upon the cross, one of the things it said was that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Do you remember that? And that holy of holies place, the welcome mat was now out that anyone, anyone by faith could come and be in that holy place. Isn't that something? Yes, I was here a long time ago. I've been gone from this congregation almost two years. What I am is uh, older, fatter, and not much wiser. But I do remember what we did to this space when we bought the church. This was a Methodist church. 
And the first thing we did, before anybody really knew about it, because we didn't want to have a fight about it, right? We got rid of the pews, right? And when people came in, we're like, what pews? You know. <laughs> and so instead, we got these nice, comfortable chairs. Aren't they nice? Form-fitting. Good for taking a nap in, you know? And we like these chairs, but they're flexible, they're movable, right? You can, you can order the space any way you like. The second thing that I remember is along here, oh, there are pews up here too, by the way, and an organ. Uh, but along here, there was a wrought iron rail. Yes, yes there was. It went all the way along here. There was a little gate through which those who have permission and authority can pass through up here to the Holy of Holies, so to speak. Okay? And so we thought, ah, oh, we're going to get rid of that too. It doesn't really fit what we have in mind. How hard can it be? Well, as it turns out, very hard because our assumption was that the rail went down through the carpet and was just like bolted into the wooden stuff that they made floor out of, right? That would be easy. You unbolt it. Life is good. Goodbye, rail. In fact, it went down through the wood into the cement subfloor where it was really nicely bolted in. So it became one of those projects that should have taken like 15 minutes and it languished for weeks because we couldn't figure out how can we get down there and unbolt that rail without destroying the wooden subfloor, right? Because that rail was there to stay. It, it meant something to the people who put it there. And so eventually, if my memory serves me correctly, it was a cutting torch that cut it off at the level of the wood, and life went on. But I like that image because I want you to know today that not only was the curtain ripped in two, right, when Jesus died upon the cross, but the barrier to the holy place is also removed. This is the place where you can come and you can pray. You can fall on your knees in this space and you can pray for this your church, for this our denomination, for you as a human being. This place is always open for you. No one will stop you from ascending up these stairs and finding yourself at the foot of that cross. No one will stop you. Do you hear me? And I wrote just one little thing here that is sort of my summation. <clears throat> we shall not weaponize the word of God to justify ourselves and our closely held opinions, much less to exclude, harm, or diminish 
those with whom we may disagree. We shall not weaponize the word of God to justify ourselves. And our closely held opinions, much less exclude, harm, or diminish those with whom we may disagree. Churches go through hard stuff. This is a hard time. I personally am not very worried about the evangelical covenant church. And you want to know why? It's because the Lord Jesus Christ is running the show. He has the ability to transform lives. We are not a democracy, nor are we a prisoner of Robert's rules of order. I'm sorry, I just had to put that in there because we're we not. You know, I've tried to read the book of Acts and thought, you know, what if when faced with something difficult that required action, Peter, the apostle, were to pull out of his, I don't know, did they have pockets back then? Pull it out of wherever you stash things back there and say, wait a minute. Let us consult Robert's rules of order to make sure that what we do fits in terms of an appropriate process. And any day that we put process above people, we, the church, have some thinking to do about what it means to love one person at a time. Years ago, when I was more motivated to do things in our backyard, foolishly, I had a whole truck full of limestone rocks delivered to our house, and they dumped it at the side of the road. And I thought, well, I've got my plastic wheelbarrow, and I'm going to load it up, and I'm going to move those rocks to the various places in the yard where I believe that they will fit, and I'm going to get this pile moved in an hour, hour and a half tops. So I loaded up my plastic wheelbarrow with rocks, and I made it about 20 feet, and the two front wheels went, right? Goodbye, plastic wheelbarrow. And so I figured out that now I'm left with an option. I go to Ace, and I spend a hundred and something dollars and get a really nice wheelbarrow, which I did not want to do. Or I could basically move the rocks one at a time, which is exactly what I did. And it's very labor-intensive because, you know, you've got to bend over, you've got to pick up a rock, you've got to walk with it, and you've got to put it where you want to put it, but it's much more organic. You put your hands on it, right? You have to feel it. You have to walk with that weight in your arms. And I want you to think about our church today and church with a big C as being about the business of moving huge piles of rock one at a time. There's no shortcut to God's transformational work in people's lives. First, they have to receive 
the good news of salvation. And sometimes that means you pick up a rock that feels too heavy for you. You ever do that? You, yeah, yeah, come on, macho guys. You say, remember, Jim, we tried to move that one rock one day out there by that fence, you know. And I give Jim the credit because he came up with the fulcrum. He designed a fulcrum. And with all that, we probably moved the top six inches. Okay? But we thought, hey, we can move a boulder. And sometimes you pick somebody up in your life, okay, and you think, I want to bring the transformational message of Christ to this human being. And you walk a few steps with them, and you think, no, I really don't. Because I don't like you. I don't like the way you think. I don't like the way you challenge everything that I hold dear. And so I would just as soon drop you right here and you can find your own pathway. And in fact, I may put up a fence to keep you on your side of the fence. And other times we pick up rocks and you say, oh, I like you. You're the kind of rock that I want to put my arm around and bring you to the next point of your spiritual journey, and I'm happy to journey with you because, A, I like you, B, you think like I do, and C, I can see us like hang out till we're old people in the life of the church, right? And so we don't get to choose, however, when we're moving the pile because God has a great sense of humor. If you tell God to please God, put into my life someone that I can influence for your kingdom, you can bet he's going to place somebody in your life who is your exact opposite and annoys you. Because if it was easy, Paul would not have needed to write the book of Galatians, correct? Because we're not fighting about that anymore, but plenty of other things that we can fight about. And the reason we need to be a unified church, church, is that our, there are things that are much more important that require the unified body of Christ to address. And please hear this scripture as our closing scripture. And Make this my prayer for the day as well. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. And a prayer for our church and our denomination. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Therefore, do not forget 
that the person you're sitting next to today, you might love them, you might disagree with them in some way. But thank you, Lord, that we're called to be the body of Christ. Thank you that you died for us all. Thank you, Lord, that there's no asterisk after grace. Thank you, Lord, that you know the future better than we do. And thank you especially, Lord, that there are still people who need to hear how much you love them, regardless of where they are today on their journey, Lord. They need to know about your love. And to that mission, we remain committed, Lord, that all, all may come to a saving knowledge of you. Amen.